Question 33 of Summa Theologica Prima Secundae, Treatise on the Passions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Prima Secundae, Treatise on the Passions, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 33. Of the Effects of Pleasure. In Four Articles. We must now consider the effects of pleasure, and under this head there are four points of inquiry. First, whether expansion is an effect of pleasure. Second, whether pleasure causes thirst or desire for itself. Third, whether pleasure hinders the use of reason. Fourth, whether pleasure perfects operation. First article, whether expansion is an effect of pleasure. Objection 1. It would seem that expansion is not an effect of pleasure. For expansion seems to pertain more to love, according to the Apostle in second corinthians six eleven our heart is enlarged wherefore it is written in psalm one hundred and eighteen verse ninety six concerning the precept of charity thy commandment is exceedingly broad but pleasure is a distinct passion from love therefore expansion is not an effect of pleasure Objection to. Further, when a thing expands, it is enabled to receive more. But receiving pertains to desire, which is for something not yet possessed. Therefore, expansion seems to belong to desire rather than to pleasure. Objection 3. Further, contraction is contrary to expansion. But contraction seems to belong to pleasure, for the hand closes on that which we wish to grasp firmly, and such is the affection of appetite in regard to that which pleases it. Therefore, expansion does not pertain to pleasure. On the contrary, in order to express joy, it is written in Isaiah 60, verse 5, Thou shalt see and abound. Thy heart shall wander and be enlarged. Moreover, pleasure is called by the name of Laetitia, as being derived from dilatatio, expansion, as stated above in question 31, article 3, third reply. I answer that, breadth, latitudo, is a dimension of bodily magnitude. Hence, it is not applied to the emotions of the soul, save metaphorically. Now expansion denotes a kind of movement towards breadth, and it belongs to pleasure in respect of the two things requisite for pleasure. One of these is on the part of the apprehensive power, which is cognizant of the conjunction with some suitable good. 
as a result of this apprehension man perceives that he has attained a certain perfection which is a magnitude of the spiritual order and in this respect man's mind is said to be magnified or expanded by pleasure the other requisite for pleasure is on the part of the appetitive power which acquiesces in the pleasurable object and rests therein offering as it were to enfold it within itself and thus man's affection is expanded by pleasure as though it surrendered itself to hold within itself the object of its pleasure reply to objection one in metaphorical expressions nothing hinders one and the same thing from being attributed to different things according to different likenesses and in this way expansion pertains to love by reason of a certain spreading out in so far as the affection of the lover spreads out to others so as to care not only for his own interests but also for what concerns others on the other hand expansion pertains to pleasure in so far as a thing becomes more ample in itself so as to become more capacious reply to objection to desire includes a certain expansion arising from the imagination of the thing desired but this expansion increases at the presence of the pleasurable object because the mind surrenders itself more to that object when it is already taking pleasure in it than when it desires it before possessing it since pleasure is the end of desire reply to objection three he that takes pleasure in a thing holds it fast by clinging to it with all his might but he opens his heart to it that he may enjoy it perfectly second article whether pleasure causes thirst or desire for itself objection one it would seem that pleasure does not cause desire for itself because all movement ceases when repose is reached but pleasure is as it were a certain repose of the movement of desire as stated above in question twenty three article four and in question twenty five article two therefore the movement of desire ceases when pleasure is reached therefore pleasure does not cause desire objection to further a thing does not cause its contrary but pleasure is in a way contrary to desire on the part of the object since desire regards a good which is not yet possessed whereas pleasure regards the good that is possessed therefore pleasure does not cause desire for itself objection three further distaste is incompatible with desire but pleasure often causes distaste therefore it does not cause desire on the contrary our Lord said in John 4.13, Whosoever drinketh of this water 
shall thirst again where according to augustine in his commentary on the gospel of john 15 water denotes pleasures of the body i answer that pleasure can be considered in two ways first as existing in reality secondly as existing in the memory again thirst or desire can be taken in two ways first properly as denoting a craving for something not possessed secondly in general as excluding distaste considered as existing in reality pleasure does not of itself cause thirst or desire for itself but only accidentally provided we take thirst or desire as denoting a craving for something not possessed because pleasure is an emotion of the appetite in respect of something already present but it may happen that what is actually present is not perfectly possessed and this may be on the part of the thing possessed or on the part of the possessor on the part of the thing possessed this happens through the thing possessed not being a simultaneous whole wherefore one obtains possession of it successively and while taking pleasure in what one has one desires to possess the remainder thus if a man is pleased with the first part of a verse he desires to hear the second part as augustine says in confessions 4:11 in this way nearly all bodily pleasures cause thirst for themselves until they are fully realized because pleasures of this kind arise from some movement as is evident in the pleasures of the table on the part of the possessor this happens when a man possesses a thing which is perfect in itself yet does not possess it perfectly but obtains possession of it little by little thus in this life a faint perception of divine knowledge affords us delight and delight sets up a thirst or desire for perfect knowledge in which sense we may understand the words of ecclesiasticus twenty four twenty nine they that drink me shall yet thirst on the other hand if by thirst or desire we understand the mere intensity of the emotion that excludes distaste thus more than all others spiritual pleasures cause thirst or desire for themselves because bodily pleasures become distasteful by reason of their causing an excess in the natural mode of being when they are increased or even when they are protracted as is evident in the case of pleasures of the table this is why when a man arrives at the point of perfection in bodily pleasures he wearies of them and sometimes desires another kind spiritual pleasures on the contrary do not exceed the natural mode of being but perfect nature hence when their point of perfection is reached then do they afford the greatest delight except perchance accidentally in so far as the work of contemplation is accompanied by some operation of the bodily powers which tire from protracted activity and in this sense also we may understand those words of ecclesiasticus twenty four twenty nine they that drink me shall yet thirst for even of the angels who know god perfectly 
and delight in him, it is written, 1 Peter 1.12, that they desire to look at him. Lastly, if we consider pleasure not as existing in reality, but as existing in the memory, thus it has of itself a natural tendency to cause thirst and desire for itself, when, to wit, man returns to that disposition in which he was when he experienced the pleasure that is past. But if he be changed from that disposition, the memory of that pleasure does not give him pleasure, but distaste. For instance, the memory of food in respect of a man who has eaten to repletion. Reply to Objection 1. When pleasure is perfect, then it includes complete rest, and the movement of desire, tending to what was not possessed, ceases. But when it is imperfect, then the desire, tending to what was not possessed, does not cease altogether. Reply to Objection 2. That which is possessed imperfectly is possessed in one respect, and in another respect is not possessed. Consequently, it may be the object of desire and pleasure at the same time. Reply to Objection 3. Pleasures cause distaste in one way, desire in another, as stated above. Third Article whether pleasure hinders the use of reason. Objection 1. It would seem that pleasure does not hinder the use of reason, because repose facilitates very much the due use of reason, wherefore the philosopher says in Physics 7.3 that, while we sit and rest, the soul is inclined to knowledge and prudence. And it is written in Wisdom 8.16, when I go into my house, I shall repose myself with her, that is, wisdom. But pleasure is a kind of repose. Therefore, it helps rather than hinders the use of reason. Objection to. Further, things which are not in the same subject, though they be contraries, do not hinder one another. But pleasure is in the appetitive faculty, while the use of reason is in the apprehensive power. Therefore, pleasure does not hinder the use of reason. Objection 3. Further, that which is hindered by another seems to be moved, as it were, thereby. But the use of an apprehensive power moves pleasure rather than is moved by it, because it is the cause of pleasure. Therefore, pleasure does not hinder the use of reason. On the contrary, the philosopher says in Ethics 6.5 that pleasure destroys the estimate of prudence. I answer that, as is stated in Ethics 10.5, appropriate pleasures increase activity, whereas pleasures arising from other sources are impediments to activity. Accordingly, there is a certain pleasure that is taken in the very act of reason, as when one takes pleasure in contemplating or in reasoning. And such pleasure does not hinder the act of reason, but helps it. 
because we are more attentive in doing that which gives us pleasure, and attention fosters activity. On the other hand, bodily pleasures hinder the use of reason in three ways. First, by distracting the reason, because, as we have just observed, we attend much to that which pleases us. Now when the attention is firmly fixed on one thing, it is either weakened in respect of other things, or it is entirely withdrawn from them. And thus, if the bodily pleasure be great, either it entirely hinders the use of reason, by concentrating the mind's attention on itself, or else it hinders it considerably. Secondly, by being contrary to reason. Because some pleasures, especially those that are in excess, are contrary to the order of reason. And in this sense the philosopher says that bodily pleasures destroy the estimate of prudence, but not the speculative estimate, to which they are not opposed. For instance, that the three angles of a triangle are together equal to two right angles. In the first sense, however, they hinder both estimates. Thirdly, by fettering the reason, in so far as bodily pleasure is followed by a certain alteration in the body, greater even than in the other passions, in proportion as the appetite is more vehemently affected towards a present than towards an absent thing. Now such bodily disturbances hinder the use of reason, as may be seen in the case of drunkards, in whom the use of reason is fettered or hindered. Reply to Objection 1. Bodily pleasure implies indeed repose of the appetite in the object of pleasure, which repose is sometimes contrary to reason, but on the part of the body it always implies alteration, and in respect of both points it hinders the use of reason. Reply to Objection 2. The powers of the appetite and of apprehension are indeed distinct parts, but belonging to the one soul. Consequently, when the soul is very intent on the action of one part, it is hindered from attending to a contrary act of the other part. Reply to Objection 3. The use of reason requires the due use of the imagination and of the other sensitive powers, which are exercised through a bodily organ. Consequently, alteration in the body hinders the use of reason, because it hinders the act of the imagination and of the other sensitive powers. Fourth article, whether pleasure perfects operation. Objection 1 it would seem that pleasure does not perfect operation. For every human operation depends on the use of reason. But pleasure hinders the use of reason as stated above in Article 3. Therefore, pleasure does not perfect, but weakens human operation. Objection 2. Further, nothing perfects itself or its cause. But pleasure is an operation according to Ethics 7.12 and Ethics 10.4, that is, either in its essence or in its cause, 
Therefore, pleasure does not perfect operation. Objection 3. Further, if pleasure perfects operation, it does so either as end, or as form, or as agent. But not as end, because operation is not sought for the sake of pleasure, but rather the reverse, as stated above in question 4, article 2. Nor as agent, because rather is it the operation that causes pleasure. Nor again as form, because, according to the philosopher in Ethics 10.4, pleasure does not perfect operation as a habit does. Therefore, pleasure does not perfect operation. On the contrary, the philosopher says in Ethics 10.4 that pleasure perfects operation. I answer that pleasure perfects operation in two ways. First, as an end, not indeed according as an end is that on account of which a thing is, but according as every good which is added to a thing and completes it can be called its end. And in this sense the philosopher says in Ethics 10.4 that pleasure perfects operation as some end added to it, that is to say, inasmuch as to this good, which is operation, there is added another good, which is pleasure, denoting the repose of the appetite in a good that is presupposed. Secondly, as agent, not indeed directly, for the philosopher says in Ethics 10.4 that pleasure perfects operation, not as a physician makes a man healthy, but as health does. But it does so indirectly, inasmuch as the agent, through taking pleasure in his action, is more eagerly intent on it, and carries it out with greater care. And in this sense it is said in Ethics 10.5 that pleasures increase their appropriate activities, and hinder those that are not appropriate. Reply to Objection 1. It is not every pleasure that hinders the act of reason, but only bodily pleasure. For this arises not from the act of reason, but from the act of the concupiscible faculty, which act is intensified by pleasure. On the contrary, pleasure that arises from the act of reason strengthens the use of reason. Reply to Objection 2. As stated in Physics 2.3, things may be causes of one another if one be the efficient, the other the final cause. And in this way, operation is the efficient cause of pleasure, while pleasure perfects operation by way of final cause, as stated above. The reply to the third objection is evident for what has been said. End of question 33. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.